Hi, folks, and welcome to the Sioux Nation Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jake Geis. Now, today on the show, we're talking with Dr. John Ertle. He's a veterinarian here at Sioux Nation Ag Center specializing in swine production. How are you doing today, John? Not too bad about yourself. Nah, not too shabby. And, you know, I really appreciate you coming here today to talk about PERS because PERS seems to be something popping up a little bit more frequently in the news as of late. You got that right. This has definitely been a different year, to say the least, on the PERS side of things. Now, for cattle guys that maybe to just only encounter hogs on their plate in the form of bacon or a pork chop, PERS is something that a little kitten does. Now, obviously, that's not what we're talking about here today. So what is PERS? In the industry, we all call it PERS, but what it stands for is porcine reproductive and respiratory syndrome. Popped up as originally mystery swine disease back in the late 80s, early 90s. Totally new novel virus out there. We've been dealing it uh, as an industry for quite a while now. Since then, PERS only affects pigs. Typically, and it'll depend on what stage of production you're in, but on sow farms, you'll tend to see uh, reproductive issues on grow finish or nursery finish. Uh, those younger pigs, you'll see more respiratory issues. The biggest issue with PERS, if you want to think about it, is it's, uh, it's a virus. It really hammers the immune system. So essentially then it makes them susceptible to basically other things, not just the virus itself. And opens up the door for all sorts of secondary bacterial or other infections. It can really challenge those pigs when they get PERS virus. So what's unique about this? Because as you said, this virus has been out, well, around at least as far as we know since the late 80s. Who knows what happened before that if it was there and we just didn't know it. But why is it such a big deal now since we've been dealing with it three decades? One of the reasons I really got into swine medicine was because I was really interested in viruses. And what's been really interesting with PERS is since it was discovered, it seems like every you know, three to five years or so, there's just enough of a drift or shift, you might say, that it becomes a new novel strain to that pig's immune system. They totally don't recognize it. What's new this year in the past 12 months or so is these new 144 strains. They've really been kicking up in in the industry, in the region, and across the country. These strains seem to look totally different So what's different about these 144 strains versus the strains that we've seen in the past? Some of these new 144 breaks have caused upwards of 20% mortality on the sow farms. So it's been quite a challenge. What's been interesting for me in the past 12 months or so is the sheer variation in how these PERS breaks have affected certain barns or certain flows. And what I've seen out there is... It seems like it almost depends on who gets hit when and where. Uh, you may have a sow farm that you know you broke with purrs right away. And then I've had cases in you know finishing barns where there was just the slightest cough or the slightest blip in production or a tickle in the barn. And we just happened to grab oral fluids and check for it. And we thought it was flu at the time. And sure enough, it came back as PERS. Just the sheer variation in how it's presenting clinically has been interesting. Yeah, so the, sure. the, the variation that I've seen in how it's presented has been notable lately. Very interesting. Here in South Dakota in the last eight months or so, let's just say there's been more breaks since March, February, March this year, than what I remember seeing in my last six years working with Sioux Nation. Typically, you know, it wasn't uncommon to, you know, hear one or two new PERS breaks in sow farms 
a year or in during purr season. Uh, whereas in the last eight months, I could count upwards of 10 new breaks. We're hearing about breaks on places that, you know, maybe haven't had purrs ever in, in their history and or have not had purrs in the area. There are some barns that are very well biosecured that it's popped up on. There are a couple of thoughts out there is maybe it's just much more transmissible of a virus and or it's just so different that there's little to no immunity out there. And once a barn breaks with it, you know, they're just shedding so much virus that it travels more quickly. So that's interesting. I mean, basically what you're saying is, is that obviously we don't know a lot about this yet because this is relatively recent, that if it's either that much more transmissible or that much different than what pigs have seen in the past, so they're so naive to it, it's almost like it's a completely different virus, even though we know it's not, that one of these two are probably the reasons why we're seeing this eruption of it that's uncharacteristic, especially at this time of year. Yeah, I think you're on the right track. There have been a lot of commentary on these new strains out there. I think last I've heard, it almost didn't matter if you were vaccinated or unvaccinated. The clinical signs have been highly variable and previous vaccination status hasn't really made an influence in in clinical presentation or some of the commentary that we've been hearing with these breaks. So all of this is a very unique situation, and for folks out there that have hogs, they may be sitting here wondering, gosh, is there something I need to be doing different to help prevent this from showing up on my place? Obviously, we can never prevent 100%, but are there some steps that we can take in order to try to hold it off as long as possible? For sure, yes. So obviously, starting with a good, solid biosecurity protocol is always number one. Knowing your own status, knowing what's going on, knowing what you're doing, you know, keeping your pigs clean not sharing tools, implements, equipment between each other. There are certain things you can do and certain things that are a good line of separation is always the first place to start for biosecurity. You know, not everyone can shower in and shower out. Having a line of separation, Dutch bench style, keeping dirty boots on the outside, clean boots on the inside. You know, even if it's, I tell some guys, even if it's putting a piece of duct tape down on the cement, keep your dirty boots outside, keep your clean boots inside. Transportation is always a a big risk. So making sure that before you load in a trailer, making sure it's clean and disinfected, dried. When we talk about biosecurity, there are a few low hanging fruit that I always look at on the swine side. One of the biggest things I look for if we're starting out when we discuss biosecurity protocols is rendering versus composting on site. If a producer is rendering, they're basically inviting disease to the end of their driveway. Uh, When we talk about preventing PERS breaks, uh, rendering is the first thing that I think needs to go. Uh, Just not inviting the the renderer down your driveway. Now, that's a very interesting statement that I hadn't necessarily heard before. So is there some data behind that? Yeah, there was an Iowa State study called Meta-Analysis over a lot of farms and a lot of sows. And what they did was they compared those sow farms that broke more frequently with PERS to those sow farms that broke less frequently or hadn't frequently. And they took every little piece of data they could out of out of that. And the, one of the only significant differences between those sow farms that broke more frequently and those that broke didn't break or broke less frequently was if they were using a rendering service or if they were composting on site. It's a very interesting study. And definitely fits in with what you're talking about here. 
A lot of guys ask about vaccinating for PERS. BI did a pretty good study that showed, you know, even two doses, be it processing and weaning or weaning in two weeks later, showed a ROI as compared to one dose, especially if you look at those pigs coming off of a more hot PERS break or earlier into a PERS break. So we'll get benefit from doing a two-dose program for vaccine over a one-dose program. That's correct. There are a number of PERS vaccines options out there. The jury may still be out on, you know, on these new 144s, how valuable previous vaccine is in the face of a 144 break. I've been on the stance of I'd rather have some sort of immunity, if at all, leading into or if we are concerned about a potential exposure. Basically, from what you've told me, if we don't have a lot of things that we know about this, and there's only so many things we can do about this, at least we should try to put our best foot forward, and vaccination can be part of that. Definitely. So earlier you spoke to the fact that PERS is really the gateway to a lot of other problems. It opens the door, you could say, to other diseases coming in and causing more problems. What would be some examples of that that we would have to be concerned about if we had a PERS break? That's correct. So when pigs are going through PERS, often we'll see you know, an increase in strep or increase in parasuous downstream. Other things that, you know, when your immune system's being challenged, secondary stuff in the background, you know, even pastorellas and all that other stuff can make its way into into the pig. So if a producer comes to me and might be concerned, maybe they've got a cough going on in the in their finishers or something, finding purrs is pretty simple nowadays. All we do is we hang a rope and let those pigs chew on the rope, and then we collect the what we call oral fluids, throw that uh, into a little tube and send it off to a state diagnostic lab, and they'll run a PCR for PERS on it. And even most of the labs nowadays, you can get two for one, get PERS and flu at the same time. Well, at least that gives guys some options that you can find out where you're at. And I appreciate the information you gave the listeners about things they can do to try to help stave it off. Obviously, this is a very moving situation and a moving target. We can't say for sure what's going to keep it out, but we know we can put our best foot forward, and I appreciate you giving our listening audience some tips on doing that, and especially with that kind of interesting study from Iowa State. One thing I would like to add, too, or encourage our hog guys out there is, you know, we've had a lot of good camaraderie in the industry and sharing what your current status is because knowing what's going on at the neighbors can better prepare us for, you know, what might be coming downstream. And working together. Working together, exactly. Against this common cause is, is, is very good. Well, John, thank you very much for taking the time to come down here and share with our listening audience all of these different things that they can keep in mind to put our best foot forward against this new and improved, you could say, PERS virus. Improved is never good when it comes to a virus, but being able to work together as the swine production community will really be of a great benefit in order to try to overcome this challenge in front of us. And I thank you for sharing all that information so we are a little bit more up to date with what's going on. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. And thank you to our listening audience. Y'all take care, folks. <laughs>